Uh, anybody know what today is? Palm Sunday. Yeah, we were, I was talking with guys back in the coffee house today, and they said that I should get up here today and say happy Valentine's Day, just to see if anybody knew. And uh, I, I know you guys are smarter than that. So uh, today is um, Palm Sunday, and we're going to talk about that a little bit. I want you to uh, get ready. We're going to read from John 12, uh, but I want to say this uh, to start. Today we're going to talk a little bit about uh, opening gates, opening gates, or, you know, we, we don't have a lot of gates in our life necessarily. We have more doors. Uh, it's more of a common term for us. Uh, I've never been good, and you, you can ask my wife, she'll, she'll confirm it. I, I've never been good at closing doors. I can open them but I just don't close doors very well. Uh, I leave refrigerator doors open, <laughs> cabinet doors open, closet doors open. I just, I, I leave doors open. I just never have quite learned the skill of closing a door. And I think partly it has to do with getting locked out of things. You ever, you ever done that? You ever closed the door and the minute it clicked, you realize, oh no. That was a permanent closing. I, that was a click that sounded like a lock, and I have no key, and I'm, I'm out here. I'm stuck. And so to keep from ever getting stuck in a place that I don't want to be, I just don't close things. So I just leave doors open all around me. But, but today, we're actually going to talk about the value of leaving the door open. The value of leaving the door open. All right, so we're going to start uh, by reading from John, uh, the Gospel of John, chapter 12, beginning at verse 9. Meanwhile, a large crowd of Jews found out that Jesus was there and came, uh, not only because of him, but also to see Lazarus, whom he had raised from the dead. So the chief priests made plans to kill Lazarus as well. For on account of him, many of the Jews were going over to Jesus and believing in him. The next day, the great crowd that had come for the festival heard that Jesus was on his way to Jerusalem. They took palm branches and went out to meet him, shouting, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed is the King of Israel. Jesus found a young donkey and sat on it, as it is written, Do not be afraid, daughter Zion. See, your king is coming, seated on a donkey's colt. At first, his disciples didn't understand all this. Only after Jesus was glorified did they realize that these things had been written about him and that these things had been done to him. Now, the crowd that was with him when he called Lazarus from the tomb and raised him from the dead continued to spread the word. Many people, because they had heard that he had performed this sign, went out to meet him. So the Pharisees said to one another, See, this is getting us nowhere. Look how the whole world has gone after him. Lord, I pray uh, that you would speak to us today. Uh, we, we believe that you have things uh, that you want to say, things that you want to speak into us, into our hearts. And so we do pray uh, that our hearts will be open to you today. We need you, and we need more of you. And so we ask you, Lord, have your way here in this place today. 
In Jesus' name, amen. I'm going to read one other passage from Matthew uh, 21, 12 through 17. Jesus entered the temple courts and drove out all who were buying and selling there. He overturned the tables of the money changers and the benches of those selling doves. It is written, he said to them, my house will be called a house of prayer, but you're making it a den of robbers. The blind and the lame came to him at the temple and he healed them. But when the chief priests and the teachers of the law saw the wonderful things he did and the children shouting in the temple courts, Hosanna to the son of David, they were indignant. Do you hear what these children are saying, they asked him. And Jesus replied, yes. Have you never read from the lips of children and infants, you, Lord, have called forth praise? And he left them and went out of the city to Bethany where he spent the night. So what's going on Palm Sunday? Uh, Jesus has just left Bethany. He'd been there and spent some time uh, with Mary, Martha, and Lazarus. They were good friends of his. There's been some time, a good bit of time has passed since he raised Lazarus from the dead. Uh, but this raising of Lazarus w was quite a firestorm. It really stirred things up. Uh, the raising of Lazarus had impact uh, on so many people. And, and uh, the whole time that he was with his friends, people were trying to see Jesus. The whole time he was with Mary, Martha, and Lazarus, people were crowding around. They wanted to get in. They wanted to see Jesus, but they also wanted to see Lazarus. You know, I mean, Lazarus was kind of a sideshow. I mean, he'd been dead for four days, and now he was alive walking around. And uh, even to the point, you know, I, I love the King James Version where it says uh, when Jesus is about to raise him, they, they don't want to open the, the grave. They don't want to roll the stone away. And the reason they give in the King James is, by now his body stinketh. And you just really can't, phrase it better than that. It's been four days, uh, but Jesus calls him forth and, and, you know, the idea that Lazarus was dead and everyone in town knew it, and now he's alive, has caused quite a stir. Uh, so the raising of Lazarus uh, was a big deal, and the chief priests are not happy uh, they're not happy with the way things are going because people are more and more believing in Jesus and turning to Jesus and following Jesus, which is not good for them because they have set themselves up against him. And so they are now plotting ways to kill Jesus. And, and they're also plotting uh, ways that maybe they should kill uh, Lazarus as well. Um, verse, verse 10 and John 12, what we read a minute ago, says, So the chief priest made plans to kill Lazarus as well, for on account of him, many of the Jews were going over to Jesus and putting their faith in him. So as you read through the gospel story around the raising of Lazarus, you see that there is a spiritual shift that takes place from the raising of Lazarus. And it continues, this shift and the atmosphere continues in Jerusalem uh, as Jesus enters the city uh, on this Palm Sunday. Uh, in fact, it is this, this shift that happened in Bethany when, when Lazarus was raised. It, it's this shift that is causing people to turn to Jesus and to follow him that has really pushed uh, the Jewish leaders 
the religious leaders of the day into action to accelerate their plans for his death. Uh, things were, were bad enough when people were just following Jesus and, and interested in the stories that he told and the parables that he gave and the healing that they saw. But once Lazarus is raised from the dead, things accelerate. And they realize there's no turning back. Uh, this thing has gotten out of control. And they say things like, the whole world is following after him. And now is the time that they have to push to stop it. So Jesus rides into the city. He rides into Jerusalem on a donkey colt, into this kind of atmosphere. And it's kind of an interesting thing when you look at it and think about it, that he comes into all this fanfare. You know, people are celebrating as he enters. Hosanna, Hosanna, and palm branches. And it's a, it's a parade. And, and people are celebrating his entry into the city. And a week later, less than a week actually, uh, they're crying out for his death. And, and when we read that, it's kind of hard even to fathom that things could shift that quickly. I even had somebody ask me uh, a week or so ago, do you really think it was a week? I mean, do you think maybe that the Bible just describes it that way and it really was longer than that? Because in our, in our minds... We just can't imagine that things could change that quickly. Or, or can they? <laughs> they do, don't they? I mean, things change quickly. We change our minds about things. I mean, I, I'm a pastor. I have people ask me all the time, how many weddings have you done? I have no idea. I, I really have no idea how many weddings I've done. I, I know it's north of 400 and, and, I'm, and I think south of 500. So some in there, somewhere in there. Um, but let me say this about weddings. I've never done a wedding for two people who didn't like each other. Yeah, I mean, that sounds funny. Until I add that about 55% of marriages end in divorce. You think people change their mind about stuff? You think people's hearts change about things? They do. They do. And this is what's going on here. Uh, these people are so excited about his entry, but it doesn't take long at all for them to change their mind. And honestly, uh, there are a lot of us in this room who have experienced that. We've experienced it even in our faith. How many of you would say that uh, there was an, an incredible excitement when you came to the Lord that maybe a few years later wasn't quite as fiery as it was in the beginning? Hopefully, you, it was just a season that you went through and you didn't settle into that place of less than. But all of us, I think, have experienced times that were not quite what it was in the beginning. And, and so I say all of that to say that, that uh, life for us is not like this. There is some of this in life. And so the people are excited when Jesus arrives, but it takes them hardly any time at all uh, to be not excited 
or actually to be excited in a different way. Uh, and so when Jesus comes to the, into the city, there are several things that happen. Now, the first thing that happens is that the worshipers are renewed. Jesus comes into the city and he goes straight to the temple because the temple has been messed up. Now, the people didn't mess up the temple. Uh, the religious leaders messed up the temple. And as Jesus said, my father's house is supposed to be a house of prayer and you've turned it into uh, a den of robbers. They had turned it into a, really a marketplace where they were taking advantage of people because the people were coming there for worship and they had to make a sacrifice for worship. The religious leaders saw that as an opportunity. Well, we'll just sell these animals for sacrifice at a high price, and that'll be good for us. And if they bring an animal of their own, we'll tell them it's not good enough and that they need to buy one of ours. And so they're taking advantage of the people in the name of worship, and Jesus didn't like that one bit. And so he comes into the temple and he turns over the tables of the money changers. And he really restores the temple back to its intended purpose. And immediately, sick people come and are healed. And worship breaks out. And children begin to prophesy. And this incredible moment, this incredible shift takes place in the temple. And one of the things that Jesus always wants when he comes into a city is to return the church to its intended purpose. You will hardly ever see a revival hit a city that doesn't hit the church first. And when things get set right in the house of God, it bleeds into the city. But it hardly ever happens the other way around. So Jesus comes in, he sets the church or the worshipers back in their correct posture. Worship is renewed. The second thing that happens is that all kinds of people are awakened. Uh, in John 12, 11, it says, many Jews have believed, believed. And then in verse 19, the Pharisees say the whole world is following him. But the bottom line is that the presence of Jesus gets everyone's attention. And then the third thing that happens when Jesus enters the city is that uh, the blind and the lame are healed. Uh, Jesus comes into the city, in a, it's in a sick state, and he immediately begins to bring healing and to bring dead things to life. And then, of course, the fourth thing that happens when Jesus enters the city is that opposition comes. Opposition comes. The religious leaders question his authority. They try to trap him, uh, as always, uh, with the motive of discrediting him and eventually killing him. Uh, we want Jesus in our city, right? We, we want Jesus in our city. Uh, we want to be those that celebrate him, that celebrate his coming. We want to welcome him. We want to welcome him into our lives. We want the refreshing that comes. We want the reordering of our lives. You know, sometimes we just feel like we need a reset. 
just need to reboot. It's kind of like the computer. You just want to turn it off and turn it back on again and see if it'll work right. And sometimes we feel like that. We just want to say, Jesus, just, just reboot me. Just turn me off and then turn me back on again. Let's see if I can regain what I've lost. Jesus comes into our lives. We want the refreshing that comes from him. We want the healing. We don't necessarily want the opposition. But that's part of the deal. When we position ourselves with him, we also position ourselves against the opposition that will come. I want to read now from Psalm 24. This is a passage that has been, uh, we've been spending a lot of time in Psalm 24 lately. I think it was about three weeks ago. Uh, Michael Schwartz uh, brought this up and shared some things in, in a prayer meeting that we were having uh, about what, how this verse had been speaking to him. And since then, we've been really praying uh, Psalm 24 for Easter. So if you're looking for something to pray between now and, and Sunday, here you go. The earth is the Lord's and everything in it, the world and all who live in it. For he founded it on the seas and established it on the waters. Who may ascend the mountain of the Lord? Who may stand in his holy place? The one who has clean hands and a pure heart, who does not trust in an idol or swear by a false god. They will receive blessing from the Lord and vindication from God their Savior. Such is the generation of those who seek him, who seek your face, God of Jacob. Lift up your heads, you gates. Be lifted up, you ancient door, that the king of glory may come in. Who is this king of glory? The Lord, strong and mighty. The Lord, mighty in battle. Lift up your heads, you gates. Lift them up, you ancient doors, that the king of glory may come in. Who is this king of glory? The Lord Almighty. He is the king of glory. Now, the gate uh, in ancient times was an important place. The gate to the city was actually the place of transaction. It's where business was done, it's where decisions were made. And so when we pray, open the gate, open the doors so that the king may enter, uh, the, it means a lot of things. It means a lot of things for us. And what I want to suggest to you today is that every one of you, Right now, today, where you are, whether you're in a great place, a horrible place, or somewhere in between, I believe that every person in this room has a door waiting to be opened. There's a door in your life that's either open or closed. And God is looking for Riverstone. I think Riverstone has a gate. There's a gate or a door for Riverstone that needs to be opened. And there's a door or a gate for each of you that needs to be opened. So again, the gate is the place of transaction, but it's also the place of opposition. Uh, gates were important in battle. Uh, to maintain control in battle... What did you want to do? You want to keep the gate closed to maintain control. 
And that's really the posture for a lot of us. We just want to maintain control. And maybe we mi- we've misidentified the enemy. We've misidentified the enemy. We think that the enemy in our lives is loss of control. And so we want to keep the door closed at all costs. When in reality, the thing that would really set us free is if we opened the door. And if we lost control and we gave control to someone else, if we came to the place of surrender and we let Jesus be in control, everything would change. We also recognize that that you have an opposer. You have an opposer. And and in the military world of, of Jesus' day, they wanted to keep the gate closed to keep the enemy out. But the the opposite is true for us. You have an opposer, and he wants desperately for you to keep the door closed. That's what he wants. He wants you to keep the door closed because he knows that if you open the door, if you open the gate, the king of glory will come in. And that's the last thing that he wants. So the gate is not only the place of transaction. The gate is the place of warfare. The gate in Jerusalem was the cross where Jesus conducted the greatest transaction that's ever been made, where he offered his life in place of yours. And even then, the opposition was strong. Palm Sunday, there was warfare at the gate. As Jesus enters the city, knowing that he's headed towards the cross to conduct this greatest transaction that's ever been made, his opponents say, look how they follow him. We're losing control. Let's kill him. Psalm 24 says, lift up the gate that the king of glory come in. Lift up the gate, open the door, and let the king of glory come in. So the question for you today and the question for me is, what, what is your gate? What is your gate? Will you open it? Will you let him in? There are so many gates in our lives. For for some today, the gate is the most simple gate of all. Will you say yes to him or will you continue to say no? For some who've never surrendered to Jesus, it's the simplest of transactions to say yes to him, or to say no again. Uh, For others, the the gate is different. For for some, there's a gate of worship that you've never opened, never stepped through. You've just kind of held back. Maybe maybe your posture has always been, yeah, I I see people engaging in worship, but that's, that's just not me. It's just not the kind of person that I am. 
And I would just suggest to you that worship is not about the kind of person that you are. Worship is about the kind of God that he is. And so maybe that's a door that you need to open today. Uh, for others, the, the door that hasn't been opened is, is the door of prayer. That door of prayer that leads to intimacy. Maybe, maybe you grew up in a culture that taught you that prayer was work. And it, it's always just been a rule for you. You know, prayer is something you have to do. Because I became a Christian, I have to pray, and I have to read my Bible. And then can I just release you from that? Do you know that reading your Bible doesn't make God better at what he does? He doesn't want you to read the Bible for him. He wants you to read it for you. It will make you better at what you do. So if you've been reading your Bible or you've been under this heaviness of, of having to check all the boxes because you think God's watching you and tapping his foot and waiting for you to get it all right and get it in order, can I just release you from that? It's not for him. He gives it for you. It's for you to make your life better. Because when you give yourself to those things, you come to know him better. You become more intimate with him. And life is sweeter. There, there is a gate of joy that has to be opened. That's the thing that we have to realize, really. For, for, for all of the things that God offers to us, there are gates, there are doors that we have to open. What did Jesus say? Behold, I stand at the door and knock. We love to use that in evangelism. Only one problem with that. It was written to the church. Jesus was speaking to the church, behold, I stand at the door and knock. Will you open it? Because he's promised that if you do, he'll come in. So whatever your gate today, whatever your door, whatever it is, whatever, whatever door you've put up to keep him out, the places in your life that you've said, okay, God, if you would take this and this, I'll take this and this. He's saying, no, actually, I want that. I want those things. In fact, I want everything. Everything. And so today, you know, I don't have to guess because you know what your door is. You know what gate needs to open. The question is, will you open it? I promise you this, if you do, if you open the gate, the King of glory will come in. Who is this King of glory? The Lord, strong and mighty. Now let's pray.
Lord, I pray that uh, we would not push you away. Today, we would not turn our back on the door. But when we hear the knock, when we hear the knock, we would simply open and invite you in to have your way. We need you, God. We need more of you. We need to to stop being afraid and allow you into every room in our lives. Come, Lord. Come, Holy Spirit. Have your way. In Jesus' name, amen. I'm going to invite our our teams to come. We're going to have a time of of prayer, time of ministry today before we close. And, and, um, you know, the invitation today is, is pretty simple. Are you willing to deal with the door? Uh, I, I got a pretty good idea that, that most people almost immediately know what your door is. Uh, some of you may have to ask, and I, I trust that if you do ask, that God will tell you. Uh, but I think most of us know pretty quickly uh, what our door is. And so the question for you is, are you ready? Are you ready? Are you ready to open the door? I promise you he's ready. He stands on ready. So I encourage you, don't put it off any longer. Don't be afraid. He's ready. I want to ask you to stand. We're going to worship for a bit. And I I encourage you to come. Uh, Come quickly. Uh, Let these people help you. Lord, we do pray, have your way. We want to open the gate. I pray for Riverstone, Lord, that we would swing wide the gate, that we would open the gate and let the King of glory